and 8. So as you're turning there, I want to jog your memory. Back in 2002, there was a popular movie that had just come out entitled Catch Me If You Can, starring Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. And the movie was based on the real-life story of Frank Abagnale. Frank, at the age of 16, grew up in upstate New York, and he left home, and in order to figure out a way to provide for himself, he discovered that he had the uncanny ability to con people out of large amounts of money. He just had a way with convincing people that he was someone that he, he really was not. He doctored his ID to make it look like he was 10 years older than he really was. He called Pan American Airlines and convinced them that he was an airline pilot who had misplaced his uniform. And so they sent him a uniform, so dressed as a pilot. He flew for free all around the world and stayed for free in really nice hotels. He even forged checks from Pan Am to him and over the course of four years accumulated $2.5 million in fraudulent funds. But not only did he pretend convincingly to be a pilot, he also pretended that he was a Harvard-educated attorney and worked at a law firm in Louisiana. And then for a short time, he lived in Georgia and actually posed as a medical doctor, convincingly. But ultimately, the truth caught up with Frank. He was wanted all around the world, and at just the age of 20, um, he discovered that if you fake it, you just won't make it, no matter how convincing you are. Did you know that in every group, there are people there for the wrong reason? There are people that look a certain way, act a certain way, and appear on all counts to belong, but they're posers. They're what we would call counterfeits, kind of like Frank. They're in every church. There's some here this morning. They were all in the 915, so you guys don't have to worry about that. But, <laughs> but in every church, there are counterfeits. Even in the small net group of the 12 disciples, Jesus hinted at the fact that one of them would betray him. Before we get to the metaphor in John 15, I kind of want to set it up for you. So if you'll notice back in John 13, Jesus was in a room celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. And he was going around after dinner. He had girded himself with a towel and he filled a water basin and he was washing the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter. You know, foot-in-mouth Peter, who always speaks before he thinks. And Peter said, there's no way I'm going to let you wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't, you will have no part of me. And so then Peter, you know, goes to the other extreme. Well, then just not my feet. Wash my hands and my head. And I'm sure he caused the Lord to laugh a little bit. And, and Jesus said, Peter, if you've bathed, you're already clean. It's not necessary. But some of you are not clean. And John tells us he said that because he knew that there was one who would betray him. Later on, Jesus point blank says, one of you, to the 12, will betray me. Can you imagine being in a room with 12 men that you had traveled with and ministered with for the last three and a half years, and all of a sudden Jesus says, one of you is not who he is pretending to be. You'd wonder who it was, right? So they started asking around, and, and is it me, is it me? And John was sitting closest to Jesus, and so Peter motioned to him, hey, find out. And so John leans in and says, Jesus, who is the one who will betray you? And Jesus says, the one I give the bread to after I dip it in the bowl, he is the one. And who did he give the bread to, church? Judas. And when he handed the bread to Judas, he said, that thing that you have to do, go and do now. And Judas gets up from the table, and he leaves them. 
Even to that point, though, the disciples still thought Judas was a true disciple because he was the treasurer. He handled the money. They thought that he got up to leave to go pay the rent for the room that night. They still didn't know who it was. It just didn't dawn on them. He was so convincing. He'd even convinced the 12 disciples so thoroughly that they elected him to be the treasurer for the group. He managed the money. Who do you put in charge of money? It's the person that you trust the most. But Judas was a counterfeit. We're going to talk a little bit about Judas and those like him. You see, uh, some old pastor told me one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, Dave, there's always a Judas at your table, and he's usually close enough to kiss you. It's true, isn't it? And so today, as we look at John 15, 6 through 8, I want you to understand who Jesus had on his mind when he shared this metaphor with the disciples. In John 14, after Judas left and he was there just with the 11 true disciples, he explained to them that he would soon have to go away from them and they were troubled in their spirit, but he assured them that he would send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to comfort them, to guide them into all truth. And then at the end of that discourse, it says at the last verse of John 14 that they got up and they left. And, and after they left this room, they started to walk toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And scholars believe that as they passed by a vineyard, Jesus paused and gave this metaphor to his remaining 11 disciples. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And he says, you, you 11, are already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And then in verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you, you eleven, bear much fruit. So you shall be my disciples. This morning in verses 6, 7, and 8, we're going to discover three kinds of branches. You remember I said Jesus probably had on his mind, as he shared this metaphor, Judas wouldn't you be thinking about Judas, the one who was betraying you at that very moment? Judas was on Jesus' mind. So were the 11 true disciples, those who remained. And then also God the Father was on Jesus' mind as he was on his way to pray in the garden. So I want you to remember that as we look at verses 6, 7, and 8. The first branch we, we see in verse 6 is the counterfeit branch. Looks like a branch, behaves like a branch, but is not a branch, not connected, counterfeit, kind of like Frank in our story. Now, a lot of people see verse 6 as a troublesome passage because at first glance, it looks as if a believer could lose their salvation. You know, well, wait a second, that's a branch, you know, I'm a branch, and if we're cast out as a branch and then wither, this looks like we can, that a believer could lose his salvation and go, to hell, And at first glance, it does appear to be that. In fact, I grew up in a denomination that believed that Christians could lose their salvation if they live in continued sin, and so they would reference John 15, 6. But there's some things you need to pay attention to. The first is, who does Jesus have on his mind? 
when he's giving this metaphor, Judas, the 11 disciples, and God the Father. And so I believe verse 6 is about Judas. But there's also something else that happens in the text. Jesus is using first and second person pronouns in the first five verses. And for those of you that didn't do well in grammar class like me, he was saying, I and you, I and you, I and the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. But then when he gets to verse 6, he switches to third person pronouns. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. There's an us and them. I and you, me, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, my true disciples, the remaining 11. But if anyone does not abide, he is cast out. Judas, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And then back in verse 7, he switches back to first and second uh, person pronouns. He says, abide in me and I in you. And so he's talking about them, they, people that are not connected. They're out, they're cast out, and their destiny is to be burned, sadly. These people that he's talking about, they're like Judas. Judas had a front row seat to everything Jesus did while he was on the earth for three and a half years. They heard him teach with authority in person. Wouldn't that be an amazing experience? Hear Jesus teach in person. They had witnessed him heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on the water. Judas was there. He was in the group. He was trusted in the group. They had elected him to serve as the treasurer, yet he was not a true branch. He was not connected. You know, after Jesus identified Judas as the betrayer, I promise you if the disciples are anything like us, they'll be like, you know, now that he says that, I remember, you remember that time we were in, Beth- we were in uh, Bethany and Mary came in and anointed Jesus' feet with that perfume and washed his feet with that expensive perfume? We were just kind of in awe. Judas was complaining. Judas criticized her in that worship service. He said, this is such a waste. We should sell this perfume and use the money to feed the poor. I knew it. I knew it. Judas, you know, he's a counterfeit. He's a counterfeit. And I'm sure they acted like they were in the know long after they were enlightened by Jesus. But the truth is told that they were, they were convinced that he was a true branch. And yet Judas was a crafty, cunning consumer. And you know, John even says in John chapter 13, when he writes about Mary anointing Jesus' feet and how Judas was upset about it, John says, retrospectively, he said, he didn't say this because he was compassionate for the poor. It was covetousness because Judas was stealing from the disciples. He was taking money, and this was more money that he could have pilfered from um, the treasury. But on the surface... With the 12 disciples, Judas stated their creed. He supported the cause. He shared in their convictions. He even socialized in their community. Judas was committed. He was committed, but he was not connected. He was a counterfeit the entire time. As I thought about Judas and those like him who look like disciples, who act like disciples, who associate with them, They appear to be branches, but they're really not. An insect came to mind. It's because I have a weird mind. But I I thought of an insect, and I thought of a particular insect 
um, a walking stick. You know what I'm talking about? Here's a picture of one. See how he blends into the branch? He looks like a stick. He looks like a branch. He's got some green on him. And as I studied about these walking sticks, they pose to be branches. They're masters of camouflage. They will even sway back and forth to resemble a branch blowing in the wind. They're very deceptive. But you see, walking sticks are not producers. They don't produce fruit. They consume fruit. They eat plants. And if left unchecked, a walking stick can destroy the host because they just consume what's there. They resemble a branch, but they're not a real branch. Now, in Texas, because everything's bigger in Texas, we happen to have the largest species of the walking stick in the continental United States. It's called the Texas giant. Look at this thing. Wouldn't that freak you out if you were walking through the woods and walked into a Texas giant? I don't like insects. I'm sorry. I know that they're God's creations, and they all serve a purpose, uh, but they bug me, okay? I, just, I have to be honest with you. I think the first thing that, that happened to Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden was he got bit by a mosquito, walked through a spider web, and fell into a pile of fire ants. I think that's what happened uh, when they broke God's law, but kind of creepy, but man, this picture's perfectly, in my mind anyway, what it, it looks like to be a counterfeit branch. See, because if you walk by and you saw a walking stick on a tree or a bush or a plant, and you know what, by the way, the, the Texas giant, their favorite diet in Texas is a grapevine. Interesting, isn't it? And you don't know that it's, a, that it's not a branch until it walks away. That's when you know. It walks away. That reminded me of a passage of Scripture in 1 John 2.19 where John describes those who have left the, the church. He said, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were really of us. They were committed, but they weren't connected. They were counterfeits. Judas is a sad stick story. It's really sad, isn't it? When you think about all he saw, all he experienced, and yet he never was connected to Christ. He had no fruit because he had no root. But there's a second kind of branch that we see in verse 7, and that is the connected branch. Jesus goes from third-person pronouns goes from, you know, there's us and then there's them and they. And then he goes right back to us, I and, and you. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, this is also a difficult verse because on the surface, it looks like a blank check for believers, doesn't it? In fact, prosperity preachers would avoid the first part of that verse and just quote the second, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Amen. You want a BMW? Pray for it. Amen. Bless God. This is what the Bible says. Well, they're not quoting the full verse, are they? There's a condition attached to that productive prayer. The condition is, Jesus says, if you, true disciples, abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What does that mean to abide in him and have his words abide in us? That word abide is to make yourself at home in, dwell in him, rest in Christ, and then his words abide in you. That's going to change you if God's word abides in you because God's word always produces 
fruit. That's where the fruit comes from. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And so if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we will bear much fruit and it also impacts your prayer life. God makes a promise in Isaiah 55, 11 about His Word. He said, it is the same with my Word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. That's God's promise about His Word. It will not return void. Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. They'll be cast out. They'll wither. They'll be gathered together. They'll be cast in the fire. They will be burned. But if his words abide in us, the fruit comes. And guys, when you study God's will, or when you study God's word, you will begin to learn God's will. Where's God's will? It's in God's word. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I go before the Lord when I pray and I have a list. You know, there's things that I want. And I start out thanking God for who he is and what he's done. It's kind of like the adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Or sometimes I do confession first. You know, that's necessary. Lord, I, I messed up. Please forgive me about this. And then I go into adoration Praise Him for who He is, what He's done. And then I get to S, supplication. This is what I want in my list. But many times, by the time I get to adoration, and I've confessed my sin, and I'm, I'm praising God for who He is and what He's done in my life, and I start to count my blessings, I'm reminded of His will, and my list just, it just goes away. Those things I, were, I was going to ask for, those selfish things that I wanted, yeah, now I have a fresh perspective. I, I am once again reminded of your will. And it's not about my will, it's about your will. Because God is good all the time, right? And all the time, God is good. And the more we abide in God's word, the more we pray God's will. I've seen it happen. You know, prayer is not, productive prayer is not about getting whatever we want. It's about wanting whatever He gives. That's what it's about. And, and when we study God's Word and His Word abides in us, we gain that perspective. You see, truly connected branches are not seeking God's wealth. They're surrendering to God's will. Someone who is abiding in Christ and his words abide in him. He is seeking thy will be done, not my will be done. You see how it works? When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us new desires. We start to want what he wants. We're burdened by what burdens him. We love who he loves. And that's the conditional promise for prayer. If we abide in him and his words abide in us, then... We will ask what we desire, and it will be done for us. So many times, our prayer life is more like James 4.3 instead of John 15.7. Do you remember that passage? It says, you ask, 
and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures? Selfish prayers are a swing and a miss with God. When we pray for ourselves and, God, I want this and I want my will to be done, it is a miss. You are not connecting. If you want to truly connect with God in prayer, you will abide in Him and allow His words abide in you. Then you will see productive prayers aligned with the promises of God. That uh, idea of not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus is the perfect example for us. Again, when he finally gets to the garden, you remember his famous prayer, Lord, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The perfect example for us. And so that's the connected branch. It's the promise of answered prayer. So, so far we've seen the counterfeit branch in verse 6, the connected branch in verse 7. Finally this morning, I want you to see the commended branch in verse 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. We exist to glorify God. Period. That's our, pur- that's our purpose in life. Uh, tremendous book written by Rick Warren many years ago, The Purpose-Driven Life. You know, how many have read The Purpose-Driven Life, okay? He has the greatest opening line to any book I think I've ever read. His opening line is, it's not about you. (laughs) How many of you closed the book right away and you're like, well, fine. I'm not about you either, Rick, you know? No, it's not about you. He, He leveled with us right on page one. This life is not about you. You exist to glorify God, and Jesus explains how we do that. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit, not just some fruit, not just more fruit, but much fruit. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'll get to that in a second. I want to summarize real quick what we've learned in our Be the Branch series up to this point. The first truth is that true branches bear fruit. It's just the way it is. If you're a true branch, you're truly connected to the vine, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. Why? Because fruit doesn't come from us. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I'm your source, right? I'm the vine. Fruit is a result of being connected to me. And if you're connected to me, there will be fruit. Because it's not the fruit of good works that we do or drum up. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is love, it's joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit, not of Dave, not of Jimmy, but of the Holy Spirit in us. It results from just being connected to Christ, being a true branch. And so true branches bear fruit. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 7, 16 through 19, he said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Every true branch bears fruit. 
The second thing we learned from the Be the Branch series, this metaphor in John 15, is that pruned branches bear more fruit. Isn't that what Jesus said in verse 2? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, it's not enough just to have fruit. That's a natural thing that happens when you're connected to the vine, but he wants you to have more fruit, and more fruit comes with pruning. Pruning. This is what Pastor John talked about last, last week, that we need to submit to God's pruning as he cuts and makes us more like Jesus. Every trial that comes our way, he uses it to shape us into the image, to conform us into the image of his son, Romans 8, 29. That's why we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What's patience? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not a life that is free from tests and trials and pain and heartache and, and, and turmoil. No. The only difference between the Christian life and the non-Christian life is not a difference in trials we go through, but it's the purpose of those trials. You see, our pain serves a purpose. The pain that we experience serves to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. The pruning is painful, but we know that ultimately it results in the picture of Jesus Christ. God is making us more and more like Him. And so it's through pruning that we bear more fruit. But the third kind of branch is a mature branch. Mature branches that have been pruned continually over time bear much fruit. You want to glorify God? Bear much fruit. How does that happen? We submit to pruning over time. That means we've lived a life of ups and downs, of peace and calm and storms, and our roots have grown deep into the goodness of God's word, and we know that he's faithful. And we've seen him pass the tests of life and how we can see his love and grace and mercy and how he loves us and works through us even in trying times and we bear much fruit. Uh, a couple years ago, Pastor Mike Haley and I uh, went to visit one of our church members who was up in years and was having a hard time with some changes that were going on at the church and they were being a little grumpy about it. Let's just be honest. And so Pastor Eddie said, we have to go see them. Why don't you come with me? Let's go talk to them. And I was dreading it because I knew how mean they were on Sunday morning, let alone you know, through the week. I was like, here we go, you know. Why don't they give pastors flap jackets and helmets and stuff? I don't know. But we show up at this house, and sure enough, they were a little grumpy. I'll say it. They were downright mean, and they let us know. And they kind of blessed us out a little bit, and Pastor Haley, in a wonderful way, just kind of, talked to him graciously. We prayed together and, and I patched things up. And on our drive away from their house, I kind of started feeling sorry for this person and how their, how their life was, you know. Why, they, why were they so bitter and angry and so filled with, you know, just meanness? And so I was trying to justify them, I guess, in the eyes of Pastor Alien. So I said, you know, preacher, we'll probably be just like that when we're their age. We'll probably be cantankerous and grumpy and and little things like that will frustrate us. And I thought Pastor Haley was going to jerk the car to the side of the road and wear me out. He said, David, no, we are not. 
We are going to get sweeter. We're going to get more loving. We're going to be more gracious. We're going to be more gentle because we're going to be more like Jesus. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I apologize for that. And isn't that the way it should be? Branches who are truly connected to the vine that submit to God's pruning over time bear more and more fruit. And then you see a seasoned senior saint that has seen God's goodness and His faithfulness throughout His years and he is bearing much fruit. There is much love. There is much joy. There is much peace. There is much kindness and contentment and faithfulness and gentleness. They're more like Jesus because they're further along their journey. Isn't that the way it should be? There's only one way we get there, and that is through praying for pruning. We have to pray that God will prune us because he's faithful. There's a purpose to the pain. On the other side of that trial is Christ-likeness. If we'll just endure. You see, if we submit to the shears of the Lord, we'll be able to withstand the storms of life. But it's all about submission. It's all about surrender. It's all about praying for pruning. It's asking God, Lord, if there's anything in me that hinders your fruit from flowing through my life that will feed my my friends, my family, my faith family. Cut it out. I submit to the vine dresser. Prune me, me, make me more like yourself. True branches bear fruit. Prune branches bear more fruit. And mature branches bear much fruit. In closing, I want to address all three kinds of branches that we see in this text. First of all, the counterfeits. Do you know there's some counterfeit Christians in the room? Counterfeits? People that look like they belong, they're faithful to church, they're committed, but they're not connected. If nothing changes in your life, if you continually reject God's grace, mercy, and love, your destiny is to be cast out, to be gathered, and to be burned in the fire. One day, God will separate the sheep and the goats. He will separate the wheat from the tares. He will separate the branches from the sad stick stories. And your destiny is to spend eternity separated from Him, suffering for your sin. You might be fooling your folks. You might be fooling your friends. You may have even fooled this fellowship for a long time, but you're not fooling God. He knows those who are His. He said, I know them, my sheep. They hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. But to the goats who He casts out, He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You were never connected. And the good news is, is that He's given you one more chance to hear the truth of the gospel. One more chance. He's reaching out to you in grace and mercy and love. And He's saying, come. Be connected. You're not fooling me. You might be fooling them, but you're not fooling me, and I want you to belong to me. I have good news for for sad sticks this morning. Did you know that there's a process called grafting where you take disconnected branches and you wound the vine, you cut the vine. It's called bleeding the vine, and you can be grafted into him. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised 
for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He bled for you. He bled for me. All you have to do to be connected to Christ is to admit that you're a broken branch. Say, God, I can't do it on my own. I'm, I'm trying to fake everybody out, but I know that I don't belong to you in my heart. You need to admit that you're a broken branch. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus died in your place to pay the price for your sin, that he was buried, that three days later he rose, proving as the power to save you and just surrender to him. Say, God, grab me in. I'm tired of pretending. I want it to be real and receive his grace today. If you're already connected, I'm gonna challenge you to abide in him rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for your sins let his word saturate your soul spend time daily in his word fill up your mind and your heart with God's word and you'll know God's will you'll have powerful prayers because you're praying for his will to be done not for your will to be done and if you're here and you've been connected a long time and you've experienced some pruning God is faithful he has a perfect picture in mind for you, and it's not the best version of you. It's his son. Amen. He's conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And one day, you'll share in his glory. Submit to his pruning, bear much fruit. It will feed your friends, your family. It will feed this fellowship.